Welcome to the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove. Our homes are the single largest investment most of us will make in our lives. They not only have a huge impact on our finances and our lifestyle, but collectively they have a huge impact on the planet. I think everyone's finally admitted we're having a climate crisis. We're having like monsoon-like rains here around our studio, so you may hear the rains coming in during this broadcast. We spend a lot of time worrying about transportation and industrial greenhouse gas emissions, but many of us are still burning fossil fuels at home. The gas furnace in your basement, your hot water heater, the gas range in your kitchen, even your gas lawnmower and leaf blower burn fossil fuels and create significant amounts of greenhouse gas. The first step in creating a sustainable home is to eliminate its burning of fossil fuels. Modern electric appliances are cheaper to install, they provide a healthier, more comfortable environment, and they can actually lower your monthly utility bills. And there's a second thing. To stop the climate crisis, we not only have to eliminate greenhouse gas emissions, but we also have to sequester or remove carbon that's already in the air. And the sustainable homes yard is the perfect place to build a carbon sequestration engine. We're joined today on Zoom by Drew Torkelson, lead product lead product manager of Evergy's electrification department. Hi, Drew. Hey, Mom. Hillary Noonan, founder of Syntax Land Design. Hi, Hillary. Katie Panic, senior product manager of renewables at Evergy. Hi, Katie. Hello, Bob. And Stacia Stelk, executive director of Deep Roots KC. Hi, Stacia. Greetings. So eliminating the direct burning of fossil fuels is clearly the number one priority in a sustainable home. We should use electric appliances in our furnace room for cooking for hot water. Even if your home is still getting electricity from a fossil fuel burning power plant, there are significant environmental savings and cost savings from going all electric, not to mention the elimination of redundant plumbing and heating cooling ducts in your new construction or remodels. Uh, Drew, let's start with you. You know, electrification department of Evergy, um, a lot of things that can do and a lot of new products coming out. Where would you like to start? HVAC, heat pumps, that kind of stuff. What's happening? Well, there are, there are a lot of opportunities existing for the homeowner to, to uh, save time and money with electric products. Now, uh, a lot of them have a good story to tell. I don't know. Um, let's hit one of the big ones, HVAC first, if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. I know heat pumps have been around for a long time, but they weren't the most efficient. I know, particularly in the colder colder areas, they kind of lost their efficiency when the when the you know when it got really cold outside. But I understand the new ones, super efficient. You know, from high temperatures to low temperatures. Um, what's what's the latest specs on those? What are you seeing? Well, heat pumps aren't your grandfather's heat pumps. So the ones we put in in the in the 80s and 90s, um, it's a whole different animal now. Uh, they've got new compressor technology that allows that uh, compressor to ramp up or speed up when it's colder out and extract more heat from the outdoors. And they also slow down when you're not at full load. You got to realize uh, an air conditioner or a heat pump that's uh, just on and off is 100% or 0%. And uh, most of the year, you don't need 100% on, you know, a, a moderate, you know, 50, 60% uh operation level really saves that homeowner some money and it gives them greater comfort too. I was reading in an article, Europe has been using what they call a ductless mini split for, for 40, 50 years. 
um, most of Europe and Japan and such. That's kind of the de facto HVAC there. We're starting to see those come to the U.S. Have you had any experience with those? Yeah. Um, ductless heat pumps and mini splits are, we, we, U.S. was really slow to adapt to these. Uh, they were quite prevalent in the, in the uh, and so they're a well-developed technology is what I'm trying to get to. Uh, they work very well. They're excellent uh, as far as efficiency. Uh, they'll have a, a, a seasonal energy efficiency rating or 20 or better where your average home unit might have a seasonal energy efficiency rating of about 13. Higher numbers, much better. Um, they're, they're quiet and they do a great job of spot cooling or area cooling, uh, say in an area that doesn't heat or cool as well, a second floor of your house, for example, or an area that you're in all the time allows you to set the temperature very comfortably for this smaller room and, and basically turn your thermostat down for the whole rest of the house. So let's compare that to a traditional, um, gas furnace with ductwork running through your house. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you've got the, the one engine down in your basement or wherever that's burning gas to heat, heat air, and then it's pumped through all this ductwork to your house. My understanding of the ductless mini split is there are no ducts. You basically have one or more heat pumps on the exterior of your house to generate the heating or cooling. And then that's passed through a, a copper, an insulated copper pipe or something into a given room. And then there's a heat exchanger in that room. So there's no ductwork. It's just like a little half-inch pipe running between the exterior heat pump and the exchanger. What many of us might um, recognize as a motel room heat unit, you know, by the window, usually in a motel, you'll see heat. Room. Typically, in a, a ductless mini-split scenario, you're going to see something kind of like that, except smaller mounted on the wall in a given room. So independent control of each one of those in each room or each zone. So you're heating and cooling the zones at different temperatures, which obviously saves you money. I mean, if you don't, if you're not occupying a room, there's no reason to you know, have it really hot, really cool. And otherwise, I think a, a big issue is in terms of the ductwork. Um, new homes remodels, obviously, you don't have to install all that ductwork. So think of the labor and materials you're saving there. Plus those of us that have allergies. I mean, look at all the allergens and, and pollutants that we gather in our ducts. So I can see a lot of advantages to those. Has that been your experience? Yeah, they, they are. In addition to not having, when you think you don't have the duct to push the air through, you're saving money because there, there's inherent losses in, in the energy that it takes to push that air down the, down the ductwork. So if you have it right there uh, in the room, you're getting the control you need, the temperatures you want, um, and right right in the space you're using. So that makes it really efficient. Uh, there's single, you can buy units that have single, I'll call them cassettes that go up on the wall, or some of them you can have three or four different cassettes and you can individually uh, run each cassette and they're very, very convenient. Yeah, I've seen those are like remote controls like you might have on a paddle yeah. fan. So you're setting your temperature on the control and on off, whatever, put timers on it, that sort of thing. So yeah, good technology should save you money. Cleaner environment because of the pollutants and certainly new construction or if you're doing a, a major remodel can certainly save you money in terms of the initial setup cost. And, and they do a very good job of extracting heat in that cooler temperature because they have that modern technology, uh, compressor technology, um, called inverter-driven compressors that, that really do a great job, even down into the zero and, and five below range. 
Yeah. You mentioned Sears in the mid twenties. I've actually seen specs Sears up in, you know, like 33, which is kind of a new record, but I mean, it seems like there's some good tech out there. What about price? Um, Prior to the show, I actually went on Amazon and just searched for ductless mini splits. I'm seeing units with um, three, four cassettes, you know, a single compressor, heat pump, three, four cassettes for like $3,000. That seems pretty cheap. Yeah, the the um, equipment itself is is not bad. You still have your installation, obviously. Uh, the indoor units don't take a lot of power, so it's not like you have to do a major electrical uh, routing to a lot of them actually get the power from the outdoor unit along with those copper tubes that you're running right. the refrigerant through you, you a, a little small wire runs along with them and powers the fan so uh, very convenient and and they are they're r- relatively inexpensive they're 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 getting so prevalent that that the price has come down on them what about um, remodels i know obviously no new construction that would make I mean, there'd be no reason not to do that. Just save you a lot of money. But what about remodels? If you've got an existing house and you want to move to an electric system like that, what's that entail? It's it's an option. Um, you know, you still have your, on a remodel, you'll probably won't tear out your ductwork and, and such. So you might want to look at that same type of technology in a whole house system with a variable speed compressor uh, or, you know, uh, to, to take care of your needs. But um you could certainly on a major remodel, you could, you could, if you have things open, now is the time to do it. And, and it'd be very, very wise to maybe get your main floor and uh, zone it out and, and be able to uh, really improve your efficiency. I've seen a couple of remodels that have moved toward this technology. They basically just decommissioned the ducts and then shut mm-hmm. those down, but they're, they're mounting the tubes of the exterior of your house and then just drilling them through the wall to connect to the cassettes. So I mean, they're, they're covered and such, but it seems like most of the work's done exterior with just single yeah. holes coming into where the zone is. Single, single penetration and, and uh, also probably serve as a place to get rid of your condensate through that same hole. Um, and they have very nice, I'll call them gutters that, that uh, are preformed covers that, that make, uh, make the piping, you know, the, Covers the piping. Yeah. yeah, covers the piping. Yeah, I'm trying no, to think of the like, right word there. Kind of like vinyl siding for your, exactly. your there um, you go. mini splits. There you go. What about hot water? It seems like that's another big burner of fossil fuels in the home, that big hot water tank in the basement. Um, what are the options there? Sure. I mean, you think about a hot water is you're paying 24-7 to maintain a tank of water that you really don't use, but maybe in the mornings, in the evenings. Uh, so there, there's a lot of different options there. There's a heat pump version of a water heater, but it still has a tank, but it's certainly more efficient than, than uh, just the regular uh, electric or uh, water heater. Um, and then there's a point of, I'll, I'll call them instantaneous uh, water heaters, and, and they make them in the, in the gas and, and electric versions. The... Um, they they um, they don't have a tank per se, but they they heat up the water as it comes through the heater, and it just heats the water you need, and you aren't sitting there and heating a big a large amount of water. You're just heating the amount of water you need. So, very very efficient uh, yeah. way to do now, things. 
heard those referred to as on demand. So you on know, demand. demand the water yeah. and, you know, it just comes out instantly hot. Um, obviously, tanked versions of those, as you were mentioning, I guess they don't have tanks, but centralized version. Um, what about that versus distributed? I've seen small on demand heaters actually at the, you know, under the sink in the kitchen and the bathroom. So rather than you having to transport that hot water through, you know, many, many feet of copper pipe, you just maybe have a two, three foot pipe run from the heater to the tap. Seems to me that would be a lot more efficient since you're not losing heat in the pipes and you don't have to wait for all that cold water to drain before the hot water comes out. True. You're not wasting water. And, and they are very, they, they started out in the commercial spaces and, and, uh, uh, in the restrooms, but they quickly found use in, in your houses, especially your, your long ranch house where the water heater's on one end of the basement and your, your main, main uh, lavatory might be, uh, on the opposite side of the house. So you can plug them in They're They're quiet, convenient, and, and, um, and very useful. So save money. And, uh, you know, my mother actually has one of those in her bathroom. So, uh, just the convenience of that instant hot water when you're ready yeah. to take the shower. The the other big place that we burn fossil fuels in our home is the kitchen, you know, the gas range. And, you know, as a person that loves to cook, you know, comparing a gas range, the instant on-off heat to, say, a traditional um, electric range, you know, most chefs prefer the gas. So there, there's a hit there. But I understand there's new options of the induction cooktops that are all electric, and kind of have the same cooking characteristics as a gas range. Have you worked with those? Yeah, uh, in, induction uh, cooktops are, are electric, but they, they, they induce, and hence the name, they induce a, a magnetic current that um, heats up your cooking vessel. It has to be a, a ferrous-type uh, cooking vessel, but they're very efficient because there's very little of that heat energy that's lost outside of it all goes into the the pan pretty much so it's uh very quick uh, i think the numbers are you can boil water about half the time that you you do on on a gas so it, it actually outperforms the gas uh appliance in in time or instant heat they're very controllable uh they got an added feature is w- once they're turned off the the cooking tops is still cool uh, so it's got some safety features, but the homeowner can save money with those uh, over gas or electric furnace, uh, or um, excuse me, uh, appliance, and um, just because of the speed. A little bit different cooking. I, I've been told by people that uh, quite a few commercial places are even getting into it because once they get used to it, they love them. Yeah, I've actually, when I first heard about that, I wanted to try it. So I, I ordered kind of like a portable single burner. Unit, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I got it, I think, Walmart for like 50 bucks. It wasn't a big outlay, but I've really gotten to where I like cooking with that better than the stove. I've got a gas range that I put a piece of plywood on top of, and I have my electric burner sitting there, my induction burner, I should say. And like you say, it's instant heat on and off. It cooks just as, cooks faster than gas with the, you know, kind of the same instant on and off. And that is very cool that it's just heating the pan. You know, I pick the pan up off the burner and I put my hand down on top of the burner. There's no residual heat there other than what maybe is radiated from the pan. Um, spills, you know, you boil something over, it's not going to burn to the stovetop because the stovetop's not hot. 
it's a very cool technology that I'd encourage everybody to try. You know, even just getting the little portable burner that you plug in on your, your countertop in the kitchen and play with it. I know they have the, the big built-in induction units now that look very cool. Kind of the same price as a high-end gas range. So, I mean, they're, they're comparable. So if you do want to replace your range, look at induction. If you can't afford to replace your range, like right now, go out and get one of these portable units and play with that. They come in one top, two top burners from what I've seen. So if we're um, electrifying the home, and I think these are all good options that um, save us money, create a healthier environment, help the planet too. Really the next step is, is getting that renewable energy. So we've electrified our house, which is good whether you've got renewable energy or not, but the next step on the sustainable home is to plug that house into renewables. How do we go about that, Katie? Yeah, um, Evergy currently has a, a good offering for that. It's called Solar Subscription, and it's a, a subscription-based program that lets you offset a portion of your average energy usage with solar energy from a local solar array. So in Missouri, you can offset 50% of your power, and in Kansas, you can offset 100%. Um, it's great for individuals who want to support solar without the major financial or infrastructure investment of installing panels on your own home. Of course, you can do that also. That's a, another option is putting solar panels on your own home. Um, Evergy doesn't put those on your house per se. You work with a private contractor to do that, but um, we can definitely help you through the process if you would decide to do that. Um, as part of that solar subscription program, um, we're also looking to offer that to our income eligible customers um, because we feel that renewable energy should be accessible to all. Um, so it would provide that same clean energy access at an affordable rate um, to that population who might not be able to participate in renewable programs. Um, and then they can value add that with other, other programs that provide economic relief, including education and energy efficiency and weatherization. So we're excited about um, looking to add that next year. And then um, another renewable option we have, this time using wind instead of solar, um, we, we only have it currently in our, our Kansas Central Territory, but we're looking to expand it to, to our other Kansas and Missouri um, territories next year is called wind subscription and it lets you offset your power with wind. So of course, Evergy already, you know, provides a lot of power with, with wind as part of our portfolio, but you could, you could uh, purchase additional wind offset if you want it to be hundred percent renewable. Um, you could, you could use that program to offset with wind for that. So. So do you typically one or the other? I mean, if somebody was wanting to offset hundred percent of their electricity, could they mix a solar and wind portfolio? Is mm -hmm. that yeah, we do see that on our again on our Kansas Central side with both those products. Mm -hmm. Some people do choose to do that. They'd like to have a mixture of both. So so we do see that on on our other side. So a general question. I mean, obviously Evergy still has has fossil fuel power plants. So I mean the grid's providing a, a mix. I mean, you mentioned the portfolio, how much wind, how much solar. Mm -hmm. Um, Evergy evolving. I mean, obviously over the last few years, we've seen many, many more renewable options. What's that future look like for Evergy? Can you speak to that? Yeah, um, we have filed, um, you know, a, our um, resource plan, you know, for the next, so that 
that involves a lot more solar. Um, the solar has prices have come down uh, greatly, you know, throughout the years. So, so actually, surprisingly, instead of the the wind in the future, it looks like it'll be looking to add a lot of solar, um, and that would just be again benefit to all, not a pro- program you'd have to subscribe to, just part of our general portfolio for everyone to to utilize. So, so that really is is one of the key area we're going to grow in is solar in the coming years. So you're actually seeing renewable energy as more profitable for energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it's a, a good good for everyone. You know the yeah. the use of renewable energy. So, so so the writing's on the wall. I think we're moving in that direction. It's just how fast can we get there? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so so the homeowner, I mean, um, and you might talk talk a little bit about net metering. I mean, if if somebody was to put solar cells or other energy renewable energy generation in the home. That energy can flow back into the grid if they're producing more than they can use. Right, right. It's just a, a billing mechanism we call it. So, so right, you would put the solar on your home, and then it's it's net metering. We would, you know, we you sell it back to us, and you get you get the the credit back. It's not the the regular retail rate by any means, but you do get the 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 credit back on your bill if you say overproduce your needs. So, yeah. Hillary, I believe you've got solar on your roof. I did put solar on my roof. Um, it was really exciting. Um, they had to to reinforce my uh, my roof a little bit to put it up there. Uh, but I have a duplex, and so it's two units worth of solar that's on top of my house. Um, so it's a fairly big system, um, and that way, not only do I get to offset my own electrical use, but my tenant um, also gets that benefit. And oh, nice. And we're feeding back into the grid, which, you know, I'm not just doing good for me. Um, I'm doing good for others at the same time, uh, which uh, has its own its own benefit. <laughs> um, I would like to see the the rate that um, that we get paid for producing excess increase. That would be great. <laughs> but as it is, I'm stunned. Glad I have the solar panels up there. And I hope at some point to add them to my garage uh, with a battery so that I can have a um, car that uh, is running on solar. I like the idea of running on sunshine. Absolutely. So speaking of batteries, I mean. I was just going to jump in to tell Katie that um, last a couple of weeks ago in Greenability Magazine is when I read about the solar subscription program at KCPL, and I am one of your new subscribers. So oh, thanks so good. much for providing that service. Great, great. Well, Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so anyway, we mentioned batteries. So if, if we're running um, renewable energy off of a roof specifically, you know, we still can pull from the grid and such. But what, what are the battery options? Do you have a battery, Hillary? Do you have like battery backup at this point? You're just feeding the grid. I'm just feeding the grid. Um, the batteries, when I was looking at doing this, the battery was still about $10,000, uh, which just pushed that price up so much that I could offset all the electrical use in the house uh, for about $10,000 more than the cost of the battery and the panels in the car. So I decided I would deal with the, the house use first um, and make the the vehicle use in the future. I see. So you're, you're strictly a grid-based system. Um, I've heard of some people using their electric vehicle 
as a battery. You know, they they charge it, they drive a little bit during the day, and then they can actually pull off of that at night or whatever. Drew, can you talk about that? Electric vehicles and, you know, charging stations and such in your home? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, all electric vehicles that, that you can plug in will come from the manufacturer with a regular 110 volt or regular outlet you can plug in. Uh, there's, there's different levels uh, and, and of charging available. So if you have a right 240 volt outlet out there, you, you, can, you can charge a, at a faster pace. And that's when you can probably get into the technology of, of the vehicle back to the grid type. Uh, charging that's it's still and we're talking electric out. dryer we're talking electric dryer outlet right when you say 220 that could actually just be yeah. plugged into your dryer outlet yeah it's same it's going to be the same type of outlet as your electric dryer goes in yeah so what about and you know these are all electric i did want to touch just briefly on lighting light bulbs it seems that that's something we often overlook in the home but you know, however your home is getting electricity, you know, light bulbs today have changed a lot and they have a huge difference in the amount of energy they're consuming. Somebody want to talk about that, Drew? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, well, you, you basically have your three types, your incandescent, your old school uh, light bulbs, your uh, CFL or compact fluorescent lighting and LED. Uh, LEDs have been out for quite a while. They use 80 to 90 percent less energy than a, than a uh, uh, regular incandescent bulb, uh, and, but it used to be the price was quite a bit higher. Really, if you check your your price is almost a parity. I mean, the the pricing of LED bulbs have come down significantly. Where uh, you probably get a payback within the first year of the price difference, and you don't ha the homeowner doesn't have to change them for upwards of thirty five thousand operating hours. So that's a a long time compared to the thousand hours we used to get out of a regular incandescent bulb. So even if a LED costs you two, three times more, it's going to last 30 times longer. So longer. it saves you money in the long run. Yeah. It'll save you money where you're actually making money uh, on that compared to uh, putting in an incandescent light. Bob, can I, can I mention sure. I bought my house. I had to pretty much redo everything and uh, I couldn't do everything at once. And so I had a 60 watt bulb hanging from the, the uh, wire in the kitchen. And that was the only light in the kitchen. Uh, now I've got four drop lights, three spots, three under cabinet lights, and it's a total of 23 watts. So for less than half the power, I have so much more light and it's pretty. And it's wonderful. Good color. So, I mean, if we can do nothing else right now, I mean, we can replace the light bulbs in our homes, save money, save the planet. Another another thing on LEDs that people don't think about is all the heat that an incandescent light bulb, the old school light bulb, puts out. Uh, everybody can think of tr having a, a bulb blow out and reach up, grabbing it super hot. All that heat's going into your house, and and an LED doesn't produce near as much heat, and so you're not having to you you have to pay to air condition. Uh, that heat that's coming into your house on these old school, that, that's an uh, additional benefit and cost savings for a homeowner. You're listening to the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove. We're speaking with Stacia Stelk, Katie Panic, Hillary Noonan, and Drew Torkelson about the sustainable home. 
So we've been talking about the electrification of homes, but it actually takes two to create a sustainable home, two things. We not only have to eliminate the burning of fossil fuels, but we also need to use our landscaping to remove carbon from the air, you know, what the scientists call carbon sequestration. And that can be done with a home forest, um, with um, sustainable landscaping in your yard and your garden. There's a lot of options there. So let's talk about landscaping. And I want to jump to you, Stacia. Um, I mean, obviously, choices in how we landscape our yard, whether it's that manicured lawn that takes a lot of chemicals and a lot of mowing and such, which I understand is not that sustainable. What is the sustainable option? Well, it's funny that you bring up turf grass. Um, turf grass actually represents 2% of land use in the lower 48 states. And it is um, <clears throat> not only not only doesn't trap carbon because its roots are very shallow, it takes a lot of carbon to maintain with gas powered vehicles like mowers and blowers and weed eaters uh, and chemicals to maintain that lush green carpet. <laughs> so we strongly encourage um, wherever possible to consider the use of your space around your house. There are places where turf grass might make sense where children have play gyms, for example, but in other areas, we really want to be people to consider a more regenerative solution with native plant landscaping. Native plants have deep roots that trap carbon from the air into the soil where it belongs. Um, and they, you know, they are, they're, they're food sources for pollinators and birds. And without those pollinators, we don't have a lot, a lot of food to eat. So we really need the support of our native plant landscapes. Hillary, I know you work a lot with soil and such. I mean, to you, what is the yard? How do we create a sequestration engine in our yard? Absolutely. And first of all, I have to say Deep Roots is a really wonderful organization, and I'm grateful that we have them in town. Um, so to get that whole system working in your yard, um, you have to pay attention to the soil. Uh, there's a lot of damage we do with construction and with lawn chemicals. Even uh, a lot of invasive plants can trash your, your uh, soil microbes. So organic matter is vitally important. And then finding a way to get um, a healthy microbial population in there. Um, and that gets the whole system going. So you actually increase the photosynthesis rate on the plants. So they're pumping more carbon. They're also evapotranspirating more water vapor and aerosols into the air. And that can help stabilize our weather systems. 40% of our weather is local. We can help stabilize the weather system so that we can continue to grow food and avoid the, the drought flood um, cycle. So what are the options? I want, to create, I want to create a sustainable yard. I mean, we want to eliminate the grass, eliminate the turf. What is it I'm going to plant? It kind of depends, honestly, on what your situation is. In fact, we, uh, we recommend everyone always start with a site assessment. Uh, soil health, first and foremost, what's already in your ground or in your soil and what's missing and what and how can that be as healthy as possible? What kind of site, uh, what kind of site, what kind of sunlight do you have? Do you have a lot of shade? Do you have a lot of sun? And that determines then, of course, what kinds of plants are going to thrive around your home. Um, there are many of us live in more conventional neighborhoods, right? Um, but there are ways to plan native plant gardens that can't, that have a conventional aesthetic. 
And then, you know, in, in areas of your yard that might be a little farther away, uh, wildflower meadows are always fun and they're great for attracting um, uh, the, the wildlife that thrives on them. Even in conventional areas, I mean, urban settings, I'm seeing more and more houses go to a non-traditional yard. I mean, I'm seeing houses um, in, in downtown setting whose yards have totally gone to bushes and trees and such. Is that a, a, a zoning variance? I mean, how, how do we move to something like that? What kind of challenges are there? Well, as a matter of fact, we just hosted a webinar on that very topic last week uh, at deeproots.org, and a, um, a recording of that conversation is available. And it talks about Mid-America Regional Council worked with Gould Evans Associate, Associates to recommend updated ordinances to encourage uh, healthy trees, healthy tree selection. Um, you know, when we were talking about energy, energy efficiency in the early part of this hour, um, having shade around your home, not so great if you have solar panels, I suppose, <laughs> but having shade around your home is a terrific way to protect it from the summer heat. And oak trees are considered a key stone species when it comes to conservation. Um, and Hillary, you might jump in here. I want to say that uh, they're, a host, they're a host tree for what, 450 or 500 different species? It's, it's really impressive. Um, and the, the, the biodiversity that it brings with it in other species is really, as you said, vitally important. Um, yeah, I, we need uh, Sarah Beyer to give us the number on those species of uh, pollinators. But yeah, there are so many plants that do so many different things in the yard. Um, things that have hollow stalks so that uh, native bees can have a home in the winter. Um, there are just all sorts of things. I, I will say neat becomes a problem. Um, if you want things to be neat and tidy, uh, that, that can be a little bit of an issue. I think we have to be a little more comfortable with um, a, a little bit more um, natural look. Uh, but you know we've done that. We've done that in all sorts of areas, um, and I think we can get there with plants. And you know you don't have to use all the chemicals on the turf. Um, there are ways of having your turf that you can have. You know that area for the playset or the the maybe just an edge on the street that makes people a little more comfortable or an easy place to get out of your car. Um, and you don't need all the chemicals to keep that going. In fact, it's a lot easier to grow if you're not using the chemicals. And for every percentage of organic matter you have in the soil, you hold 27,000 gallons per acre for every 1% of organic matter. So building that organic matter um, becomes vitally important. And plants. Well, and, and to your point, Hillary, about all the different ways in which plants support our ecosystems, uh, looking outside our windows right now, we have leaves all over the place. And, uh, you know, you've seen the side, leave the leaves. I'm saying love the leaves. If you love, I mean, how many of us grew up with lightning bugs in our backyard and we'd capture them? And we always had this vision that we'd have a lantern full of lightning bugs and it would light up our room at night, right? That was aspirational. However, you need those leaves right now left on your lawn if you want to enjoy fireflies next year. 
And there's just a lot of great ecosystem services that come out of all parts of the plant, whether they're um, in, in the soil or if they're above ground and, and blooming or just providing leaves for caterpillars to munch on. There does seem to be a movement and, and leave your leaves. Um, and, you know, you think about that process for so many years, we were taught to rake up the leaves and then next year put down fertilizer. The leaves are the fertilizer for the upcoming year. So, I mean, that cycle is natural and leaving them may be cluttered, but, you know, it doesn't take them long to, to compost in, especially once it's, if you're in an area where it snows. Once the snow, snow hits that, it's going to dissolve into the ground and actually be very beautiful. Um, for those that are wanting a more manicured look, are there certain ground covers you would recommend instead of, you know, bluegrass or whatever? I've seen a lot of homes. In fact, one of our partners um, has replaced all of her turf lawn with sedges. And she has lovely landscaping around other areas of her home as well. But, but sedges look a lot like liriope for those who are more, uh, more familiar with the conventional plant. Um, liriope doesn't provide any ecosystem services and sedges do. Once again, deep roots, capturing carbon, slowing down water, water flow. You know, back, to, back, back to turf grass. Um, we talk about a lot of the hardscapes in our built environment, whether it's a rooftop or a street or driveway. Well, for all intents and purposes, turf grass is just another hardscape. When water hits turf grass, it runs through it just as fast as it can onto the street, into the storm drains, and rushes into uh, uh, um, Brush Creek, where we've had a few flooding issues in the past, right? And we so have. if you have, if you have uh, deep-rooted plants in your yard, it slows down the water, fall, water flow, filtering it on the way, um, reducing flash floods, and uh, making a healthier water system for the aquatic critters that rely on it as well. I think another issue in terms of, of the traditional lawn versus the, the type of sustainable landscaping we're discussing is the, the time and cost. Um, if we just look at the hours and, and expenses we put into fertilizing, kimming, running the lawnmower, the leaf blowers, all of that. And you know, a lot of those items traditionally are gas-powered, the gas-powered lawnmower, leaf blower, mulchers, all those kind of things. Aren't there electric options now available? Drew, you want to touch on that or Katie? Sure. I, I love all the electric options that are available uh, for, for your lawn equipment right now. Uh, you'd mentioned several, your lawnmowers, your, your clippers, your edgers, even have little pole saws. Uh, and, and the neat thing is they can all run on the same battery pack as a general rule if they're, if they're the same brand. Uh, they, they seem to be, I know the ones I own have, have performed remarkably well. I don't have to go to the gas station carrying around a, a bucket of gas to, to spill and pour. I'm not changing oil in the car. I mean, the maintenance has gone down. You just grab it and go. I'm not yanking on a cord 27 times trying to get it to start. I'm just pulling the trigger and going. And uh, so it's very convenient. You're, the, the fuel, the energy you use in, in a charging a battery is probably pennies on the dollar uh, compared to the, the gas uh, costs that you're going to spend. So, um, and the one thing I really wanted to say on, on mowers, a lot of major companies are now producing electric lawnmowers. That tells me that they're working. Uh, you know, it's doing a good job for anybody that's concerned. They have the torque, they have the capacity to do the job. So even, even out your yard, there's no reason to be burning fossil fuels. There's a lot of electric oh. options that are going to save you money and be better. 
And if you want to move past there, I mean, there's no reason to be mowing. We can have that natural yard Hillary mentioned or some combination. I've, I've seen some great yards where there's like um, a ground cover border or a turf border around the perimeter. And then there's all this native prairie grass growing in, in the central sections. So, I mean, those kind of hybrid yards are becoming more and more prevalent throughout the urban areas. Another thing I wanted to touch on is the concept of home forest. And that seems to be pretty huge in Asia these days. I'm seeing a big movement there, especially in India, where they're building these, these high-density forests. I mean, it's, it's a deliberate technique to create a small patch of high-density woods that are just massively sequestration. I've seen numbers that say they can raise 300 trees in the space of like three parking spaces. So they're doing multi-canopy, so dense you can't walk through it. And you think about all those trees, I mean, that's all carbon it's pulling out of the air. I'm starting to hear about some movement here in the Kansas City area to develop home forests. Have any of you talked to anybody or any of you involved in what's happening there? I have heard some rumblings about trying to create some agrarian forests, but um, at this point, it's a mostly conversation. I haven't heard about anything actually getting um, uh, stems in the ground, so to speak. Uh, Hillary, how about you? Have you heard anything? I haven't heard anything, but um, I know that the president is coming here next week to talk about green infrastructure and why couldn't our green infrastructure be that? Um, so that not only are we handling stormwater, um, and as I said, when you have organic matter in that soil, you're holding so much more water available um, instead of simply sending it into the river immediately, um, recharging aquifers, et cetera. But uh, why couldn't that be healthy air pumps um, for the city and, and water vapor pumps? Absolutely. And uh, the species protection you're talking, I, I see a lot of, um, a lot of research and, and pointing out the, the birds and the diversity you get in these home forests. Um, I encourage everybody, if you're interested in home forest, to uh, jump over to YouTube. I'm seeing a lot of videos up on YouTube discussing. Just search for home forest, and you'll see samples and the techniques that's involved in growing one of those in your home. Seems that another place that that the sustainable home can can step forward on is is the home garden. We're seeing this movement away from the commercial food that's you know grown in South America or Asia and then shipped around the world to our grocery stores. And you know, we can easily recognize that that's a huge carbon footprint just in terms of transportation and fossil fuels, but also the nutritional value of the food and you know, the things that have to be done, irradiation or whatever it takes to create that commercial food that we're eating that's not that healthy for us. So home gardens, we're seeing kind of a urban farming movement going on throughout the Midwest and other areas of the country. Does anybody have any experience with that? Hillary, I know you grow your own crops. Is, is, how is that working for I you? Do. Um, it's, I love having food that I can go out the front door and pick. Uh, I have found that if I grow large tomatoes for the squirrels, then they leave my cherry tomatoes alone. <laughs> But I'm, I'm also working with some urban farms, young family farm, um, Longfellow farm, uh, the, the Powell farm in KCK, 
um, and working with them as a soil consultant to help them understand how to become regenerative so that they're actually building carbon in the soil while they're farming it. Um, if you're not building carbon, if you're not helping the system by what you're doing with your farming, then it's just the same extractive process as industrial farming. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, and I'm confident when you're out there, I'm oh, sorry. I'm confident no, when you're ahead. out there, Hillary, you're also encouraging uh, some uh, pollinator gardens nearby to increase the, uh, the produ production of their, of their fields. And when Absolutely. you say pollen, pollinator gardens, you're, you're talking about flower gardens versus vegetable? Yes, I'm talking about um, those, the specifically um, native plant uh, flora that provides nectar sources to uh, pollinators and as well as um, food sources for their young so that when they, when, the, when, you, when you're attracting little bumblebees, when you, when you imagine how furry they are, they are excellent pollinators when they when they take pollen from one one flower to another are we seeing more uh, there seems to be a big resurgence in farmers markets and community gardens and such like that so even if if you don't necessarily want to garden in your own home it seems like we've got a lot of alternatives to look at for sustainable food and those sequestration engines i mean if we just dedicated our home to the the home forest and the type of landscaping you're describing that pulls carbon out of the air, we can always walk up the street to a community garden or invest in a community garden and get a plot there to grow our vegetables and such. Absolutely. And support your local farmers with uh, uh, CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. You know, we seem to be getting some interesting feedback. Go ahead, Hillary. Uh, it's, there's, there, there's some really wonderful things happening uh, across the the country and around the world, there's a town in Ohio, Yellow Springs, Ohio, where they have actually mapped out across the town, um, the public, the street trees, et cetera, so that they have something blooming in as many months of the year as possible. Um, you can get pretty much 12 months a year here um, of bloom time. And that the town has decided that this is a community value um, so that they have a diversity of trees, a diversity of shrubs, and they're extending that bloom time for pollinators through as much of the year as possible. So kind of in summary, what we've been talking about, it seems that the sustainable home is all electric, whether you're getting your power from fossil fuels or not, all electric. We need to stop burning the fossil fuels in our homes, in our furnaces, our hot water heaters, and our stoves. The sustainable home is also a sequestration engine, removing bad carbon from the air by growing that home forest or with that good landscaping or, or gardening. So these are all simple things that we as individuals can do to save money, live a healthier life, and ultimately help with the climate crisis. Uh, these are things that we can do to make the world a better place for both ourselves and the planet. So I'd like to go around the room and, and, you know, final comments, you know, the sustainable home, what that looks like to you, what your recommendations are. Drew, do you want to start? Sure. I talked quite a bit about uh, different electric products and, and just wanted to say there's a lot of electric products out there that, that save the homeowner money, have really great story to tell, uh, can save them time as well and in less maintenance, Let's trip to the gas station, all those things. 
So it's really worth uh, taking a peek and look at those options uh, when you're when you're doing a, a consideration for an upgrade or change. As always, do your research before the equipment you have fails, because uh, this, otherwise you're in a hurry and, and you don't have the time to to do that research. So, thank you, Hillary. Um, yeah, think about the whole system. Um, so whatever you're doing, when you're deciding on the fuel you want to use, when you're deciding on what you want to do with um, the amount of watering you do, the amount of time you want to put into your yard, et cetera, it's all a matter of reapportioning your resources. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to spend a lot of money to be green. Um, that's not the case. Um, and again, it's a matter of resources. There are a lot of really wonderful classes that you can take on Deep Roots um, that has all sorts of free information for you there. Um, and I would also love to, to uh, I don't know if this is the appropriate moment, but there's lots of information on Mad Hatter Compost Tea uh, website um, on microbes in your soil and ways of getting them there. Absolutely. Thank you. Katie. Yeah, um, if you're interested in supporting renewable energy besides for what Evergy already provides, you know, definitely check out our renewable subscription options to offset, you know, some some more of your power with solar if that interests you. Um, again, those are all listed on our website, evergy.com. Thank you. Stacia, the sustainable home, where do you go for that? Well, at Deep Roots, we like to say what you plant matters. And so we try to provide resources at deeproots.org to help people get started on choosing uh, native plant landscapes. And I think we have more than one episode with the famous Hillary Noonan, who is a delight. And I, every time we host her, I learn so much. And we just have a lot of terrific experts out there who are passionate about native land, plant landscapes and are ready to help you get started. Whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or you want to hire someone, there's resources to be had. Very good. And what's your website? It's deeproots.org. And Drew, was there a website you want to send people to? Um, it's the same as Katie. It's on evergy.com, and there will be quite a bit of information on there. Okay, thank you. And thank you to our listeners. We welcome your questions and feedback at climategkc.org. That's climategkc.org. This is the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove.